When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Colin Quinn brings stand-up comedy to the Miracle Theater along Washington, D.C.'s Barracks Row on February 4th. We spoke about his hilarious career hosting Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live, Tough Crowd on Comedy Central, and even starring in Trainwreck. Hey, Colin Quinn, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Thanks for having me. Hey, but I'm in a car. Would you say you're in a car? Yeah. Well, you know, it actually sounds all right, though. So I'm uh, oh, good. I might not have even known you were in a car if you didn't say anything. <laughs> I should have kept my mouth shut. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, I know this is this is uh, I don't even know if you know this, but I believe it's like the oldest theater in D.C. It's like I think it started as like a vaudeville thing back in like 1909. But now uh, Union Stage has come in and, re- you know, with some concerts, it's renovated for movies. And I think they even have some church services in there. And now I got Colin Quinn. But uh, do you do you like playing these these old, you know, historic, uh, more intimate spaces as opposed to like, you know, like the bigger, bigger arena kind of things? Well, it's not like I have a choice. It's not like the arenas are clamoring for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I love <laughs> I love all these old vaudeville. I love all the, like the whole country is filled with these old vaudeville houses. Even sometimes you go to a small town and there's this, there's one of those theaters and they're beautifully restored. It's amazing. Like it's so, it just has a different, you know, there's a great feeling to it, you know. I don't know. It's just a, there's something elegant about it, you know. I think we're lucky to be able to see you in in such a, a space like that. People need to definitely run out and grab tickets because that, that's like a, I'll say a once in a lifetime opportunity to see you up close and personal like that. Um, what sort of topics are you going to explore? Is, is it like, you know, when you come to DC, do you work in a little more political stuff than usual or you, you got COVID or, you know, what sort of, yeah, I mean, I talk about COVID and politics all the time anyway, you know, but I mean, um, yeah, everybody, every comedian loves DC. It's kind of a weird thing because all comedians love the crowds in DC and that goes from the smartest to the stupidest. Every comedian loves it. So that's kind of a strange thing, you know, not just political ones. Everybody loves it. And um, I don't know if it's because they're more aware. I don't know what it is, but it's just one of those things, you know. You know, you see a lot of special shoot in D.C., you know, and um, that's for a reason, you know. So, uh, yeah, I do everything, everything under the sun, everything that's going on, you know, social media, just everything, everything that's happening. Now, you said that you said everyone loves D.C. from the smartest to the stupidest. Where do you fall in that spectrum? <laughs> Well, it depends who you ask. I'm, I'm not the one that I'm not the one that can answer that question. I'm like everybody else. I'm like, no, it's smart. But of course, you know, everybody looks at themselves that way, don't they? <laughs> yeah, we're probably all a little further down the scale than we think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, how how have you actually been spending the you know, you know you said you are you working a little COVID into the into the routine anyway, but like how have you spent this last two years? Like I feel like we're that's the elephant in the room. Like the last two years has been insanity. <laughs> Yeah, I've never been writing a lot of stuff, but I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I never, 
the thing I regret is I never fully committed to to my Zoom lighting. You know, like I have it, but you know, some people really just said, "Okay, this is the new world," and they set themselves up nicely. And I didn't do that, which was probably a mistake. <laughs> but you're you back. At, you're back out there on the road. You know, people are. I'm sure. Yes. I'm, sure I'm sure they'll have. You know, their COVID protocols before they get in and stuff. So you know what I mean. People need some laughs. So I appreciate you doing it. No, I love it. Are you kidding me? It's been, it's really have a different energy for the audience and for us, you know? I think we're all more grateful because now it's like, oh man, this went away, you know? You have to take things away for people to appreciate them. And that's how I feel about it too. Comedians too, we love being back now, you know? Wow, yeah. And you know what? When you just said sometimes you got to take things away to appreciate it, you know, on, on a bit of a, a more somber note, we we had Bob Saga and Louie Anderson, some big comedians taken a uh, yeah. Betty White, Betty White. I mean, some really comedy yeah. legends taken from us. But real real quick, um, you know, uh, just your, your thoughts. I mean, that's got to hit you extra hard as a, as a fellow comic. Yeah, I mean, starting with Norm, it, it just was it's just been ugly as far as you start to realize, oh, no, all these people that I knew that were so amazing are, are gone now forever you know it's just like i was thinking about it you know i was thinking about norm two days ago and i was like oh norm and i was watching something and i was like oh no he's really not coming back you know and same with louie and bob and you know like those guys were just what everybody said about them they were just nice guys they were they were like people that everybody likes you know and uh yeah it's kind of a weird thing you know it's really but it's, it's how it goes you know like, yeah absolutely I'm going to wait until whatever that goes by. Is that like an ambulance or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are we while we wait for the ambulance in your car? Where where are you joining us from? Are you in New York or where are you? Yeah, I'm in New York right now. I'm on eight, right now, I'm just passing Madison Square Garden. The war on drugs will be there January 29th. I thought I'm the war on drugs waiting. was there in the 80s. <laughs> I think you're underselling yourself. You, When you say you pass Madison Square Garden, I, I think Madison Square Garden passes you, Colin Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool, cool. Well, I think the siren went by, so uh, we, we stalled for a minute. That's good. All right, so That's so good. so you were born up that way, right? You were born in Brooklyn in what, like yes. fifty nine or yeah. something. What what comedians did you like growing up? Like, do you remember how you got you know got you know sparked by the whole concept of comedy? Well, I mean, me and my brother used to listen to George Carlin and Richard Pryor albums all the time, and my whole family loved George Carlin because he was this Irish Catholic New York guy, and. But Richard Pryor, we would sit there and laugh. We couldn't believe how funny he was, how kind of all the character stuff he did. This is back, um, you know, in the 70s. And then I saw David Brenner, of all people, on TV on The Tonight Show. And I was like, oh, you could be like a cool guy like this guy and do comedy. Because he had like this brown leather jacket and open shirt with like gold chains and shag haircut. And I was like, this guy's cool. You know what I mean? That's right, David Brenner, back when I was a kid. So that, those are the ones that kind of influenced me the most, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't remember seeing you, Colin, with open shirt and gold chains, though. I don't remember that. No, believe me. <laughs> if I was around in the 70s, I, I would have been right there. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Instead, you started, you know, professionally around what, like early to mid-80s, I guess. What would Yeah, when... mid-80s. I was wearing a members only. There's pictures of me with members only jackets, yeah. Well, well, careful. You're, you're, those are the members only is, is how you whack Tony Soprano. That's the jacket you wear. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, That's so right. wait, so what, remind our listeners then, obviously you, you started doing stand-up around clubs or around town, but um, did, did you also start um, on, uh, didn't you write them in, in Love and Color as well? Yeah. 
I was already doing stand-up for a few years by then, but yeah, I was on it TV. Then that ended, and then I started writing on Living Color. So I figured I'll get into writing, and then I started writing in SNL. Then suddenly I was on SNL, and then you know, back in performing, you know. But I, but I feel like writing was my favorite. Like writing is still my favorite thing to do, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you said you were on MTV. What was it called? It was was it Remote Control? Remote Control. Yeah. Wow. Any memories of that? Really fast. <laughs> oh my God! It was it was a we had the greatest. You know, we were all young. It was just great. So much fun. Like we would travel with the, it was the, like everybody that worked at MTV was friends. So we'd go to these parties, like 50 people, just these giant parties together. And, you know, it was just a great time. And we still keep in touch, you know? Yeah. What a classic little game show there. But then uh, I want to get to SNL, but real quick before I move off in living color, which remind us which sketches you did, because, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, which writers write, which ones they remember Homie the clown and, you know, the actors, but which write, which sketches did you help? Well, I was, I did, I didn't help anything. I mean, I was there the last year. So everything I did was just, I would add like jokes in, but I wasn't, you know, they they were in their final year when I was there. In fact, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey left halfway through to go do Ace Ventura, you know, that movie that set him on the road to, you know, being Jim Carrey. And I remember <laughs> I, had read, I had read that movie and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he's doing that movie. What a mistake. What a disaster that movie's going to be, you know? Yeah, little did you know. Uh, yeah, it just goes to show, yeah, that one person, like when you read a movie, if it says, guy walks in room and sits at table and starts you know, knocking glasses over. You're like, that's not funny. But right. you don't realize when Jim Carrey does it, the way he does it is going to make it something special. You know, Right. When, when you read on the page, guy turns over and starts talking out of his butthole. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's it. Exactly. Like, that's not funny. Dude, my yeah. favorite line from that movie has to be when he goes, he knocks on the door and he goes, hi, I'm looking for Ray Finkel. And they cock the shotgun and he goes, and a clean pair of shorts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the way he did it, the, his delivery exactly was so <laughs> unique and so funny that it you know, changed everything. Well, he yeah. He so many people at that time, too. Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber all in, nine, in the same year. I mean, come on. You, you can't talk no, about that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Well, I mean, we could go Jim Carrey all day, but I want to, I want to, you know, tout Colin Quinn's career. So you joined SNL after in Loving Color, you joined SNL, um, in 96, but then I think you start hosting up weekend update in 98. One of my favorites. Yeah. To do it, I gotta say one, you're one of my favorites of all time. In oh, that thank spot. You. Um, Thanks. how did that, you, and you mentioned, you know, the late great Norm Macdonald. So did, did you, didn't you take over when he was fired? Was it over the whole, yes. he was making o, OJ jokes and stuff? And is that why OJ he fired? jokes? Well, that's, yeah, that's probably one of the reasons. But I mean, uh, yeah, and then he just, once he got fired, then they were like, okay, you know, you're doing it. And I was like, well, I don't want to, uh, if he's, I don't want him leaving, but if he's gone, I'm doing it, you know. And I was like, yeah, so I just did it. How tempted were you to make OJ jokes that first time? <laughs> well, I did make them, actually, yeah. You did? You, you carried sure. it on? Oh, yeah, of course, I had to carry the tradition on. That's so great. That's so great. And then, so yeah, OJ was Norm's big thing with his amazing, oh, yeah. his amazing signature dry delivery. But what, what oh, was you, what, what was sort of the big things that you got to? Well, I guess it was like the Clinton scandal. What else was really big on your tenure? Yeah, I mean the Clinton, the Clinton thing was the big one, of course. When I was there, I mean it was it was ridiculous how big it was. And it's so funny because that 
when you look back, you go, that was really big. But at the time, it's just like the news that's happening. So you're not even thinking about it because it's like a weekly thing. You know what I mean? So now I look back and I go, that was huge. But when it was going on, I was kind of like, yeah, this is just the news this week. Oh, that Clinton thing. And that's going on, too. Like you're always you don't even think in terms of history when you're doing it. You know? But uh, I met Clinton a couple of years afterwards and he told me, too. He goes, yeah. You had a lot of fun, yeah, didn't you? At my expense, I was like, "Oh boy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those jokes write themselves. So. <laughs> that's what I liked about. It. That's what I liked about him is that he confronted it right there. He wasn't like a, you know, he wasn't pretending it didn't happen. Right. Well, did you? What? What? Who do you think was? I mean, obviously, obviously, uh, we would both agree Colin Quinn was the best we can update host. If you know, in this format, we. Oh have no, to. I would. But yeah, who? Who would you? I guess that's my question: is who would you say was you think nailed that role the best? Was it Norman? Well, I think it was Dennis. I mean, he, I thought Dennis Miller was changed the game, but we're forgetting Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase was great at it. Nobody had ever done that before. Yeah, you're right. He set the tone, set the tone. Yeah. I mean, it, there's been, there's been so many great ones to do it, but I personally, yeah, I, I mean, thought you were right up there with them, man. I really well, thought, I, nice. but that could have just been, that was, you know, that was my childhood. So, but man, I, I loved good. it. Thanks. Um, but then I got I got to tell our listeners to go back if if they've never seen Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn that was it was on Comedy Central I think you might have followed um, John Stewart The Daily Show I yeah think we did we did yeah. um that show man I mean that to me I thought that was I mean that is like quintessential like early two thousands comedy I think it ran from like 02 to 04 or something but talk yes. about how talk about how fun it was to be it was like the laid back style almost like you were in a pool hall or whatever I think and then you had your fellow yeah. comics like you know, Jim Norton and everybody on, but like how, how much fun was it doing that for those couple of years? It was really fun. I mean, because everybody just, every day was a surprise. Nobody, nobody, we didn't believe in, you know, too much rehearsal. It was just like, say whatever you want to say and we'll leave it all in. So it was very shocking and at the time to people, but it was also very honest and you don't see that in a lot of things, you know? Oh, it, it it was really it was gold, man. Um, and then of Dang. course you you start you start getting to do a couple movies around the same time. You you were a bodyguard at Night at the Roxbury. Oh, jeez, um, yeah. Uh, I guess because you had your SNL pals with Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan. But right, uh, right. What is the what what is the biggest misconception about that? You know, the the Roxbury head bob. What's the technique? Let's get some Seinfeldian in a little bit on this. What what's the proper technique of the head bob? What do people get wrong about the bob? Well, I mean, I think that it was, uh, yeah, I think that they overdo it. Like Will and uh, Chris based it on some guys. They, I think Chris, or I forget which one, they were at a club and they were watching two guys bob their heads. And I think it's also, you have to have a little bit of the, you know, the expectation and the, the, the fear of like, hey, I hope, you know, I hope I'm fitting in here. <laughs> and I feel like they caught that, you know. Like when they go to each other, me, him, me, like, who are you calling over to dance? Like that was, a, there was a vulnerability to the, the original head bob that I think people have to keep in mind, you know? Ah, so it can't be too cocky. It has to be a little fear in there, a little vulnerability. Yeah, it's, it's right. It's cocky, but underneath there's got to be a little fear. Right. Okay. Cool. And then, of course, your other pal, SNL pal Sandler, has you come in to play his childhood rival Dickie in, uh, in Grown Ups. How yeah. fun was that? How fun was that? Was that? Oh, that was a magic time for all of us you know i mean sandler really sets it up so that all his friends are involved and that summer i was with norm the whole summer and david spade and all these but i mean we would just walk i would be laughing like a fan the entire time 
these guys had me crying with laughter. I mean, Norm, Norm was just on a tear all summer. Every store we went into, he has to like, you know, he has to like talk to people and kind of just, you know, mess with them in a certain way, but not like, he's not even trying to be me. He's just, I don't know what he's doing, but it was just the way he was. Every store we would walk out, people would be shaking their heads, but laughing, but it was insane. <laughs> there was nobody like him, you know? Oh, priceless memories that you have with that guy. I mean, yeah, all those guys. Yeah. Um, something. And then, uh, to, you know, to round out the trilogy of Roxbury grownups, and <laughs> let's go with our train wreck, Amy Schumer's yes. dad. Man, uh, a vulnerability in that role, but a hilarious role. I mean, that, to me, that movie with, you know, you, Amy, um, uh, Bill Hader, uh, well, who else? LeBron James, John Cena. Like, people go back to Judd yes. Apatow directing it. Like, people need to go back and look. I thought that was one of the funniest movies of the last, you know, decade. So, but that I mean, was a good one. Memories of Amari Stoudemire. Yeah, Amari Stoudemire. Um, just memories of, of working of being on set with so many, so many greats. <laughs> well, the great thing about that too, was that you've got like, uh, everybody being funny off camp, you know, and like comedians are just such, uh, trouble, mate. Like there's no such thing as like not causing a problem. Like everybody's just like on the break. Nobody's being serious. No one's being nice. We're breaking each other's chops. Like it's just, there's never a moment where people are just being sincere and not, it's just not in our DNA in some way, you know? <laughs> so everybody's just but playing gay. Everybody's just playing, busted each other's shot. And it's like, what the hell? What's wrong with us? You know, you can't just have a nice, decent moment. It's always got to be like, yeah. So even in the middle of that movie, everyone's doing great work. And then, you know, we'll be like, hey, great. And compliment each other. But like actors are so much more sincere, you know? Comedians are just, we, we just... We just got to start trouble all the time with each other. It's like our sport, you know, it's our way of saying, Hey, I'm glad to hang out with you. I mean, that's what we live for, you know? Right. I'm going to, if, if I'm, if I'm busting your balls and ragging on you, it means I'm enjoying being around you. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Well, I mean, there, those were three great movie roles, but one that you probably regret turning down was Scott evil in Austin. Oh Powers. my God. Is that your, yes. is that your biggest? I mean, I knew you meant, you mentioned, you know, passing or not necessarily passing but reading the ace ventura script and not thinking it'd be anything but did you think did you read austin powers and think this isn't for me and then you said oh my god no. i had a million dollars it was even it was even worse than that people said mike myers is looking for you it's like oh mike myers yeah he's great and he called finally gets my number and he calls me up this is before you know email us so calls me up and he goes hey um i saw you on larry sanders doing the doing the sun i want you to just basically do that you were so good I want you to do that in this movie I'm doing, this movie about, you know, Jesus describes Austin Powers to me. I go, hey, man, it's great. I'm, I'm busy, though, you know. He goes, well, it's only a few days. I go, yeah, I'm writing my own thing now. He goes, well, you're shooting it? I go, no, I'm just writing it. He goes, well, you know, you could write it on the plane. I mean, this is going to take no time. It's going to be a great movie. I go, it sounds really good. Good for you, Mike. I literally treated him like we were two equals with our movies. My movie, which never got made, and his movie which is a, you know, an iconic movie of society. It was one of the, it was so typical of me that I'm not even, I'm totally upset, but it, there's something about it in my personality that it's not even that, it's not even that weird of a story, except the fact that it turned out to be Austin Powers and it was great. And he made it so comfortable that I could have just walked in and did it. There's no other 
thing about that story that's different from most of my life, sadly. <laughs> it's, you find it um, pretty, pretty fitting. <laughs> yes, yes. It's on brand, as we say today. <laughs> Man, you could have been in that legendary father-son yes. therapy scene when he... When oh, he, I'm such an idiot. My father would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. <laughs> It's unbelievable. He could have been there. Oh, wow, man. It's, yeah, I'm sure he's still. Yeah. Were, but yeah, I'm, were you like, sitting there watching this Dr. Evil scenes in the theater? Just were you were you able to crack up like the rest of us or part of you like, oh, no, 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 it was not. No, because most things I've turned down, I'm always like, yeah, that was garbage anyway. That was no good. But Austin Powers was great. <laughs> 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 it was I mean yeah you could have had three movies out of that man but man it's, it's I know it's to me all it's all timer buns boo I mean it's one of the best booths ever made uh well anyway so well you've been more than generous with your time and we could talk all day but real quick let's wrap oh, it back around, full circle to to you know your your stand up career um so I mean I know in recent years what you did Red State Blue State you did the New York story directed by Jerry Seinfeld sure. um and then uh, I guess I guess most re- at least I don't know about most recently, but pretty recently you did the HBO Max thing during 2020, the whole pandemic thing. It was what is it called? Colin That's Quinn right. and Friends parking lot yeah. comedy show. What was it like trying to to put that thing together? And, you know, I, I, I assume the pandemic just forced you to get creative. Oh, uh, yeah. No, the pandemic was so we were just doing it for cars. I mean, there was no uh, <laughs> there was no audience. So it was just basically cars honking at us. And um, yeah, it was kind of a weird uh it was weird in it was weird in that it didn't bother us because all those comedians on that show have been doing it for so many years and have done so many weird and horrible shows that nothing can phase anybody that's how it is so even though there was no laughs you would think that would phase us we all thought it would phase us nobody was affected by it that's, that's how it felt it's so crazy but that's how long we've been that's how many weird gigs you do. Like nobody ever hears about these weird little shows we do. You know what I mean? All over the place that are just like, what are you doing in somebody's backyard? What are you doing in in a, you know, at a at a basement poker game? What are you doing in a living room? Like these kind of things go on all the time in comedy, and nobody even we don't even think about it. You know what I mean? And what it's just the, happened. What was the all time weirdest place you did? <laughs> the all time weirdest. Well. Actually, speaking of members only, me and Chris Rock once did it where we had to perform on top of a pool table <laughs> on in the middle of like a on a Sunday right after the Jets and Giants played in Jersey. And we're playing on top of a pool table. <laughs> me, Chris Rock, and this guy, Jim Andrinos, booked it and, and performed. And it was we were literally standing on top of the pool table in front of all these guys performing, you know, like there was no place to stand where everybody could see you. So they go, go on top of the pool table. Like, OK. So we're both up there doing our act. In between jokes, you're like uh, punchline, corner pocket. You gotta like call. You gotta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we were too we were too raw to really work it the way we should have. That angle, you know. We were new, so we were kind of like, you know. But uh, just doing our act, you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, we should have obviously, you know. A couple of years later, we would have made the whole thing about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with, with with you know tough crowd, you kind of lean on the pool table. You kind of it's kind of oh, yeah. prepared you really. <laughs> I do. I love pool. I really do. Well, I appreciate you joining us. And and you said you did did the parking lot comedy show. You know, when people would honk their horns, we've come full circle because now you're in a car doing comedy on the radio with me. That well, now I just got out, but yes, exactly. 
Oh, damn. Full I was gonna, I was going to see if you could honk the horn for us. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, I, but yeah, but just as long as it comes to the show, that's better. Well, cool. Yeah. Again, everyone come check them out at the show. Uh, Colin Quinn is coming to the Miracle Theater on Friday, February 4th in D.C. So get your tickets now. Thanks, Colin. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.